Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country mega star while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. All right, we have a chance now to talk to a woman by the name of Irene Lee. She's agreed to come on our show and talk about what happened to her in August of 2020. She was attacked by the same man that attacked the Olympian volleyball player and model Kim Glass. Kim got a lot of media attention because she went very public with the attack Uh, apparently a construction bolt was hurled at her. And if you've seen the video, she got some real injuries to her face. Almost blinded her. Yep. 51-year-old Simeon Tasfamarian is the person that did this. And we've come to find out since this attack happened, he's done this to numerous other women, including our next guest. In 2018, he chased down two women with a golf club and a hammer. In January 2020... Uh, he pleaded guilty to striking a 19-year-old with a metal pole, and even after that, even after multiple incidents, he was only given probation. He did go to jail for attacking our guest Irene Lee, who at the time was an LA County Deputy DA. She now works for the LA County Council. Let's get her on the show and talk about her ordeal. And she's speaking out because this guy should not be in the streets. Obviously, Irene, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, First of all, I just want to say that I'm here in my personal capacity. I don't represent the opinions of my current office or any entity that I've worked for in the past. All right, understood. All right. So it was August of 2020 that you were attacked. Can you tell people how it went down? 
Sure. Um, I was walking to Starbucks um, in Little Tokyo by first in Los Angeles, and that's one of the Starbucks that's being closed down that I'm sure that everyone knows about. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I was, I was, it was a weekday. Um, I believe it was a Monday at about 11 in the morning. I was walking with my coworker, Cindy, and um, she pulled me uh, to her right, and just within seconds, I felt a uh, I felt a very severe impact to my back, and I it caused me to stumble forward, nearly falling to the ground, and I was screaming and crying, um, and I thought a bicyclist had hit me, so um, I was stunned. And um, Cindy was screaming, calling for help, and a security guard that was nearby was able to pepper spray the man who attacked me and detain him until the police arrived. What so, did he hit you with, or what? How did he hit you? So. I can only assume that it was his fist. That's what I thought because I didn't see a weapon in his hand when I turned around moments later. But, um, you know, he has a history of using weapons. It could have been a weapon. I just don't know. Because in the uh, news story, it said he, he uh, well, no, then that's one of the other people he attacked. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. I didn't realize that uh, there was never a conclusion as to what he used. He could have just punched right. you, I guess. It and you, you did not. You, I don't know. You did not notice him before this encounter at all in the area? No, no. I mean, and this is an area that a lot of the attorneys walk around. It's very close to the courthouse. Um, I had, yeah, I didn't notice what, anything right before. What was his demeanor? Uh, what was his size? Did he seem like a, a crazy guy or somebody who blended? You know, it's hard to say because, you know, he came up from behind me. And um, when he was being detained by the security guard, he was very quiet. I didn't, you know, he wasn't saying, you know, garbled things and um, he wasn't acting um, crazy, so to speak. Um, it, he was pretty calm. That's, see, that's really scary because if he was acting like a lunatic, at least you might have a few seconds to be on guard, to be prepared. Right. And But if he looks normal and he's quiet and then suddenly hits you, punches you or throws something at you, uh, that, then, then you have no chance to, to, right. to dodge the weapon. Were you hurt at all then from this attack? Yes, I had a bruise on my back that lasted about three weeks. I was sore uh, for quite a bit. Well, let's talk about what happened with the uh, criminal justice system with this man and your case. Sure. So the next day I was notified by uh, the detective that he was on probation for assaulting other people. And then during the course of the trajectory of the case, I found out that he was on felony probation for um, two separate incidents involving women. One, the, uh, the 2018 incident where he had used a golf club and a hammer to uh, chase after two women and threatening to bash their heads in. And then in 2019, where he ultimately pled guilty in January of 2020, he struck a 19-year-old woman with a metal pole numerous times, injuring her lower back. And he was also um, on felony probation for stealing from a construction site what back, is, what is uh, felony, in 2019. What is felony probation? Is it, did, did he get prison time here or no? So he ultimately got prison with me. So basically, felony probation, he, it's a grant that promise to the court that he's going to behave, abide by certain conditions, and he'll be watched by the court. And um, you know, in 2018, when he pled to the incident involving the two women, he was put on probation, and then he immediately absconded from probation because you're supposed to check in with your probation officer. And he didn't do that. And then in August of 2019 is when he stole the items from the construction site. And that's when he was placed um, in a program that's known as ODR in the L.A. County Court System, which is 
designed to provide mental health services and programming for the homeless. Did he get it? Did it have any effect? Well, he he went to this program and he uh, in January of 2020 is when he pled or I'm sorry, when he pled on the assault against a 19 year old woman and he AWOL from the ODR program um, uh, in eight, I believe it's March of 2020. He was arrested in April of 2020 and he was reinstated on the program. And then again, he violated by AWOLing again in July of 13, 20, July 13th of 2020. And then he was arrested with my case. That's his second AWOL, third violation on probation, um, where the court had reinstated him. And when my incident happened, the DA assigned to the case had argued for him to be sentenced, you know, to prison. But the court again reinstated him on probation. So uh, the way I'm counting here, he, he assaulted at least four women and absconded on probation at least three times and still didn't go to jail for any of this. And he clearly has some kind of weird compulsion about whacking women with weapons. Yeah. With weapons. Right. And that was the most frightening thing. And that's what I was trying to convey to the court because, you know, when, when the police asked me, do you want this guy to be arrested? You know, the thought going through my mind was, has he done this to other people? Because that's the DA side of me thinking, okay, has he done this to other people? Who's going to be the next victim? And, you know, I tried to convey that to the court last summer when I gave my statement at the um, the sentencing. I asked the court, you know, is he going to hurt someone else? Is there going to be another victim? I can't take that chance. And I said, how many more women did this defendant have to hurt for it to matter to this court? And I felt like my my experience was being dismissed by the court. So the the judges are also have the same philosophy as as like George Gascon and some of these activists. I, they, well, they don't think I mean, anybody should be punished, that anybody should be imprisoned for any kind of crime. I mean, you basically he got seven chances. Yeah, this guy's a serial attacker. And I guess when you saw the but, Kim Glass right. case, you must have been, oh, my God, when you saw who the attacker was of Kim Glass, right? Yes, I was absolutely stunned and I was upset because I felt like I'd warned the court. I felt like the court had so many um, red flags along the way to show that this guy deserves to go to prison. Right. Well, the- not, not every defendant does, but this particular defendant, I mean, with his history, it just seems like a no-brainer. Well, right. does, so- he keep, does he keep sliding because they think he's mentally unbalanced? Is that why he keeps getting a break? I was not there during all the proceedings. All I can say is that the court kept wanting to give him a chance with the ODR program. But, yeah, but there's that, a certain see, that, point what where, I'm, I'm, right. that's an ideology, though. That's an ideology that we keep letting them out no matter what. Because no rational person. Right. If you don't want to fill up the jails and prisons, you find excuses to keep people out of them. I mean, what, what's this program? Well, obviously, you come up with these programs that this guy easily absconds from. And the programs don't work. I, I don't want to say blanket statement that this program doesn't work at all. I've seen it work well for certain types of defendants. But this particular defendant, um, you know, he uh, abused his chances so many times. And um, I don't know what the court was thinking at the time, but I obviously wholeheartedly disagree with what she did. And I felt like she was not considering the impact to the victims mm. and to public safety. Um, it cannot always be all about considering him first. And that's where we have problems when there's preferential treatment for violent criminals over law-abiding citizens. This is all the rage for so many in the justice system now. 
Uh, Isn't there a way to even put him away in like one of these mental hospitals because he's violent? Well, that that would require him to be found, um, you know, insane and and sent to a facility. But at the, at this point, or at the point where my <laughs> my case had occurred, um, you know, the, the court had the option of sentencing to prison but, or reinstating him. Ultimately, she did sentence but, him to prison, but it was one of the lowest sentences available, and he had a lot of credits already. <laughs> I mean, repeatedly whacking women with metal objects, that's not the definition of insane. You know, I don't know what is. Well, Irene, we appreciate you coming coming on on and talking about this with us. We thank you very much. That must have been quite a shock when you saw he showed up again attacking women. Yes, and I just want to say, you know, for my my prior colleagues that, you know, and, and for the people of L.A. County, you know, don't lose hope. I know it just seems like so many bad things are happening every day, but there are just amazing prosecutors that are trying to find justice, fight the good fight. And, um, you know, not all hope is lost. We, we have a fighting chance. All right, Irene Lee, who was attacked by the same man that attacked the Olympian Kim Glass a couple of weeks ago. Irene was attacked in 2020, and this guy just keeps getting away with it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. Who's the judge? Who's the judge who let this guy off over and over again? It must be another Gascon type. More coming up, John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Well, the three council members that were caught on that uh, infamous leaked audio recording, well, one was Nuri Martinez, she resigned. Another was Gil Cedillo. He's done. He got beaten in the election, and he's done with the city council. The third one is still there. His name, of course, now known by everybody even around the country, is Kevin DeLeon. We call him Kevin Leon because he added the D-E for purposes of his campaigning. Uh, he's refusing to quit. Uh, there was a scuffle last Friday night, of course, after he showed up at the L.A. City Council meeting on Friday morning. Uh, the thing that really needs to be done if you want him out of office is a recall. Now there is now one officially underway. They have to collect 20,437 signatures to affect a recall vote for this 14th district seat, council district. We're going to talk to Oscar Gutierrez, and he's one of the organizers for the recall Kevin DeLeon movement. Uh, Oscar, welcome to the John and Ken Show. How are you? Hi, John. Hi, Ken. Thank you for having me on the show today. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, lay out the uh, case for recalling Kevin DeLeon. Well, of course, we all know that he refuses to resign from his position on the city council. So the recall effort basically is a last resort, last effort to basically draw a line in the sand. Uh, If he does not resign, we are going to recall him. We need to collect signatures, as you say, over 20,000 signatures before March the 31st of 2023, next year. And so we are looking for volunteers. We are looking for, of course, money to help fund the campaign. But... Most of all, we need people who are aware of that in our district, the Los Angeles City Council District of number 14. We need people today and we need people in the future in case the recall does go to fruition. We also need people to volunteer to make sure that we have candidates that are within suitable credibility to run for office. Besides what he said on the tape, are there other issues that have been bubbling uh in, in the district that would cause people to want to recall him? Well, that's a good question. The thing is that recording was made over a year ago or approximately a year ago. 
So within that year, the year before and the year after, what other things has he done to garner such, let's just say, a repugnant and loss of credibility of his office? I mean, we don't know. All we know is that tape. So, again, with all the controversy going in City Hall, uh, and again, that that uh, melee that happened on, uh, for that Christmas event that he hosted where he got into a fight, I feel that as a member of the city council, he's lost credibility. He no longer can be a representative because, again, he's a distraction, and we're losing our ability to represent our community effectively. He has lost basically the, an effective position to govern from his position. And, again, it's, it's a lack of, of leadership and we look at it as a vote of no confidence in this recall. Do you believe that there is a deep base of people in that council district who want him out? Because last Friday, supporters of De Leon showed up and confronted the protesters who largely seem to be from outside the district with these uh, ever-present activist groups. Are you concerned about well, this? Well, I, I'm not concerned what, because they don't live in the district. They don't have any credibility or should even get involved in it. I live in the district. I live in a part of the district called El Sereno, not far from Highland Park or Lincoln Heights. So I feel I have, a, as a stakeholder, as a community activist and, and uh, a person who lives in the community, I feel it's my duty to recall Kevin DeLeon as well as other members of the recall. Again, well, if you want to know more about the recall, go to www.recallkdl.org or .org. Okay. Now. I, I'm, 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 I'm living in a district where we had a near recall. And even though it fell a little bit short for mysterious reasons, there definitely, from people I talked to in the district, there was definitely uh, a lot of support to get rid of Mike Bonnet, uh, the councilman there. Yeah. And, and eventually he quit before he was going to lose the next election. But there were so many people talking, and they were talking about the hard issues of the homeless encampments that were spreading everywhere and the way Bonin was handling that issue. When you talk to people, do you get the sense that there are, there is a critical mass fed up with him, disgusted with him? Yes, there is a critical mass. And in fact, this is a bipartisan effort, both by Republicans and Democrats in the district, people who live in the community who are just basically tired of all the drama and the problems that are occurring. Again, it's not a, political issue in the sense that we don't have representation now in the city council. Every time he goes to the city council, it's disrupted by protesters. And, and let's just say, let's just say this all blows over in a year. He still has that stigma of what has he done and what he could have probably done. And again, it just makes him, less credible as a member of the city council as so we we're focusing more on the fact that we need to have new representation that way we can get things done and we have a history in the city council district 14 uh of basically people like jose Weizar and other politicians who have taken money under the table and crooked politicians and all kinds of backdoor deals and people violating the brown act and so we're looking for new representation today. <laughs> Hopefully he resigns, but if he doesn't resign, we're going to go forward with the recall. <laughs> and again, we do need money and volunteers.
Yeah, I mean, people, yeah, I would think pe- so. people have to support a better quality candidate here. Weezar followed by De Leon. That is a bad run. Yes, I agree. And, I mean, we've had, you know, other representation that wasn't so good. I don't want to mention those names because I don't want to dilute or take away from the fact that the focus on this, this recall is Kevin DeLeon. He's no longer a credible representation for our district, and he's lost credibility, and he's no longer an effective leader in our community. Well, that's an interesting angle that regardless of what people think about his comments, he just can't be effective anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah, he can't be effective. He's no longer he, – his, his uh, voice has been muted by the fact that he was involved in that, I would say, a crony-type atmosphere where they're talking about, you know, gerrymandering the districts and then talking about racial aspects about other people and their children and comparing them to handbags. Uh, that's cringeworthy enough. But, again, now he's no longer an effective member. He can't go to the city council without disruption. He can't even hold a Christmas event without disruption. Uh, I don't see any point in keeping them as a representation of our leadership in our community. We need new leadership. I don't care where it comes from. I, my only concern right now is recall De Leon, and whoever wants to run to take over that position, they're more than welcome to. It's a free country, but we need to get rid of Kevin De Leon. Kevin must go. Kevin must resign. And if he doesn't resign, as a last-ditch effort, as a final resort, we have to focus on removing Kevin DeLeon and getting those signatures. So anyone who's listening, please go to the website, and uh, hopefully you guys will put the website on your – or a link on your site. Oh, we will. Uh, to, yeah, just because we need volunteers. We need money. We also need people, boots on the ground, to go door-to-door to collect the signatures. And, again, this is a final, last-ditch effort, the, the line in the sand, and we we just <laughs> – need to get rid of Kevin DeLeon. He's just not effective as a leader. And if there was a vote, how long from now would it be? You see, the signatures are due by March 31st, so I would only assume the soonest they could do that is maybe June. June. If not June, maybe November. So hopefully we'll get the signatures required, and uh, any other information would have to come down the line. We don't know what's going to happen, but... We are definitely passionate about this issue. We definitely want to get new leadership. And, again, uh, Kevin Leone must go. All right. Recall KDL.org. Oscar, thanks for coming on. I appreciate all your help, and it's nice seeing you guys again. Hopefully we'll meet later in the year to talk about this issue again. Okay. Oh, absolutely. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll put a link up on the webpage. Boyle Heights, downtown L.A., Eagle Rock, Lincoln Heights. These are some of the neighborhoods in Kevin DeLeon's 14th district council seat that is recallkdl.org more coming up john and ken kfi am 640 live everywhere the iHeartRadio radio app well we're, we're going to talk again to a, an author by the name of sam canonis he was on our show a few weeks ago after writing an article for la magazine but he he is a, this is all coming out of a book that he wrote called the least of us true tales of america and hope in the time of fentanyl and meth and he came to our attention again this week when he did an interview with uh, New York Magazine, they were Intelligencer. And in that interview, he talked about this potent meth that's now out there impacting clearly the homeless problem and, of course, the newer scourge of fentanyl. So let's get Sam Canones on. Sam, how are you? Uh, very well, guys. How about you? 
Uh, we're doing great. I, I got to tell you, uh, I was when I read your interview in New York Magazine, and there's, it was like an epiphany moment for me. What you wrote mm-hmm. suddenly explained what I'd been seeing with my own eyes for the last five years. And it's right. all these crazed zombies stumbling around and impervious to all offers of help, which no one could understand and many people in power would not accept. And then when you wrote about how the meth and the fentanyl destroy their instinct for self-preservation, it was the moments like, yes, that's what it is. That's why you're seeing things you never saw before. The instinct for self-preservation is gone. Talk about how you came to that conclusion. Well, I mean, I was writing the book, The Least of Us, as y'all just mentioned. Um, I began to see that we were in the era of synthetic drugs now plant-based drugs kind of being passe particularly because the mexican trafficking world understands that there is now really all kinds of benefits and very little downside to producing making their own drugs from chemicals now no no plants involved because of that they're able to make drugs that are now um, more prevalent plentiful than ever we've ever seen this is a historic moment we have seen the trafficking world in mexico one source cover the entire country with not just one drug, which would be unprecedented, but but two. So you find fentanyl and meth nationwide. You find it up in New England. You find it in L.A. You find it uh, really, really everywhere you go. And that these drugs do quite effective, masterfully, I would say, um, what all drugs of abuse do to some degree. Just these guys, these drugs do it more, more completely. And that is destroy our instincts for survival. I first saw this when I was a kid. Um, I'm from Southern California, but we were living in the Bronx and we uh, found ourselves, my dad and I were walking along, we found ourselves in the Bowery. Back when the Bowery was not some gentrified hipster heaven, it was the real Bowery with people living in trash and, and uh, slaves to alcohol. Um, so I saw that then and I, you know, it's one of those things you, can, you continue to see. Cocaine does the same thing. But what, what really separates these two drugs from the others is simply the supplies are so so massive there's there's these drugs fentanyl and meth are everywhere and they are so devastatingly potent and that is really the difference and so they have done that they have done as you said they they have uh they have uh, thwarted squelched muffled whatever the term is you like to use basic instincts for survival so people living in tents pimped out feces even in areas where the temperatures are turning going to be turning lethal will will not you know uh, uh, accept accept help because they are imprisoned they are slaves to 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 the dope and it's a remarkable thing you hear this over and over again you hear this from uh, homeless outreach workers you hear this from ER docs people uh, come in and with frostbite even uh, losing digits though they 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 could easily have been in a warming shelter and they they're losing digits in colder part of the country colder parts of the country people freezing uh, to death, this kind of thing. But you're seeing it daily in tent encampments, I think, um, uh, in many, many parts of the country. Um, meth used to be 50% meth and 50% other stuff. Now it's 99% pure. Correct. And that has to do with the way that they make it 
Now, um, the way they, they had to change about uh, 12, 14 years ago, Mexican government put a, put a kibosh on importations of the chemical they were using to make methamphetamine, which is ephedrine, which is found in Sudafed. It's in the decongestant, all that kind of stuff. They really cut back dramatically on the amount that they allowed to be imported. So the trafficking world in Mexico, which had grown up around methamphetamine and saw enormous profits from making their own drugs and, and not having to plant anything, had to shift, and they shifted to a new method that isn't as easy to make, but it does have one benefit, and that is you can make this precursor chemical known as P2P, phenyl-2-propanone. You can make it with many different combinations of chemicals, and these chemicals are widely available. They're industrial chemicals. They're legal. They're widely available. They're toxic. And, but that means the government cannot crack down the way it did on ephedrine. You, they ch- crack down on this way of making P2P. They, you shift to another or to another. And, and the truth is that they have control over the shipping ports, particularly on the western side of Mexico, so they can get any combinations of these chemicals they want. This allowed them to do two things. The first thing I understood from the beginning when I was writing my book, and that was produce such enormous quantities that they've now, as I said, covered the country uh, in areas where you never saw a, Mex- a Mexican methamphetamine before in the Midwest and nor- in New England, et cetera. Um, all over the country, you're finding this stuff now. And that's just a-, a testament to how much they're able to make. But along the way, as I was doing The Least of Us, I came to understand that there was another story and that along with the prevalence and the, the, the huge quantities, was, this meth was also creating symptoms of schizophrenia, very intense paranoia, delusions, hallucinations. Very quickly, people lose absolute control of their lives. They can't live with anybody up there, they're, else. They're, they're up all night. Very quickly, they're homeless. And then very quickly, they're in tents because tents are the perfect place. If you are believe the entire world is out to get you, you're so paranoid on this stuff. The tent is like this nice little cocoon, this nice little pod. Um, and as one guy told me, uh, he said, um, the last place you want to be when you're on this mess is in a homeless shelter because you're surrounded by people you don't know. Everyone's a threat. Everyone's you're paranoid beyond words. And so what we've seen is the rise in homelessness, mental illness has really kind of accompanied this meth as it has marched in these staggering quantities all across the country, beginning really in about 2011, 12, 13 in the Midwest. It arrived about 2017, 18, up into New England by 2019. And, um, and, and, and so that was really the, the, the startling uh, uh, reporting that I was doing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, but it, truthfully, you talk to people who are in all these different parts of the country, and it's almost like they're telling the same story of people very quickly descending into mental illness, paranoia, inability to manage their lives, intense or on the street, screaming at demons they don't, and, and bicycles, hoarding bicycle parts and all that kind of stuff. It, it was a remarkable uh, reporting experience because I kept hearing the same stories over and over and over. Right. Sam, doesn't this make the case for a conservatorship then, that we have to do something because these people no and longer I think have these I think that's why you were seeing cities begin to do this. You saw the city of New York, mayor of New York, beginning to do that. It, 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 it defies – I would say this. Let me say this. That, uh, that's a policy uh, uh, prescription that cities and counties and states can argue about and people can debate. I would say this. It does not seem reasonable to assume that people 
on the street in the conditions addicted to meth using fentanyl too i mean this is is, there's no one drug people are using it's a kind of a polypharmacy out there that there is there is no chance that many of those people will ever find quote unquote the readiness for treatment to say yes i want to come in and stay a lot of people come in and then they three days later they run back out um there's no chance that they will have the time to develop the readiness for treatment while they're on the street before meth, this meth, now so prevalent, so cheap, drives them mad, or and fen- then fentanyl kills them. All right, All right hang on, Sam. Hang on. Because okay, I want to talk about fentanyl, too, because something else was remarkable in this interview. Uh, Sam Canotis is our guest. He's an author of the book, uh, The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. More coming up, John and Ken Show, KFI AM 640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Our guest is Sam Canonis, the book The Least of Us, about the effects of drugs, particularly meth, which we talked about in the last segment, especially its uh, effect on the homeless population and they're, they're losing their instinct, instinct for self-preservation. Uh, Sam, I wanted to ask you about another part of the interview that you did with New York Magazine and a paragraph that really just stunned me and moving now over to the newer drug, fentanyl. You said there's a saying on the street that I've heard it from several people that there is no such thing as a long-term street fentanyl user like there was with heroin. There are people who use heroin for 30 to 40 years, but with fentanyl, everybody dies. There may be people using it who function in societies to some degree, but eventually everybody dies. Boy, that's, that's a pretty tragic. It it's, has to do, though, with the fact that in order to sell fentanyl, you have to mix it. And the people on the street, even traffickers in Mexico who have been gotten much better at mixing it, still are, are uh, far from perfect. Um, fentanyl is so potent that a few, the equivalent of a few grains of fentanyl, a few grains of like salt, say, would make you high and a couple more would kill you. And so and you can't sell a few grains on the street. So you have to mix it with something else. And the problem is that the mix is always bad. You never know what the mix is. Even if you have a high tolerance, you're never quite sure. And the drug is so potent that, that frequently that's, that this is what happens. The guy who first told me that there's no such thing as a long-term fentanyl user is himself uh, dead from a, a fentanyl, fentanyl overdose. And, and, and that is really the case. Again, it's, 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 and the fact is, too, that we're seeing now fentanyl, because it's so cheap and so potent, it's being used now to to um, bump or boost up um, other other drugs, uh, cocaine and, and methamphetamine. And to some degree, we're seeing now examples of it being dusted into uh, onto marijuana uh, as well. And of course, you're seeing fentanyl uh, in all these uh, counterfeit pills that are coming in from Mexico that first look like oxycodone, generic 30 milligram press blues, but now and, and Percocets and Xanax bars and now have many colors but all of this i want to stress it seems to me very clearly from my reporting this is all a function of the enormous supplies that they're able to produce um uh, 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 down in mexico and again fentanyl and meth are both now uh, nationwide i was talking with a guy in in maine who's now in recovery but he's 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 a heroin addict in maine and all of a sudden fentanyl was it and you couldn't find any heroin at all we are we are probably about a year or two away from seeing like no heroin at all, real heroin at all on the streets of America. We're almost, we're almost there. It's just been outcompeted by fentanyl. 
it, it seems like the death toll has a potential to explode. It's possible. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not seeing while well, fentanyl is out there. I don't like to predict the future, particularly now when it's uh, horrifying news like this. But, you know, there's the, 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 the amounts of fentanyl just simply increased. You're finding it in more parts of the country, pretty much everywhere in, in the country, I would say, just with, with some exceptions, I guess. Um, Baltimore, an amazing story. I think Baltimore has been a heroin town since the 60s. But the tests that they're doing on, on people who overdose now are, you know, 85 percent, 90 percent, maybe upwards of 85 uh, percent are on fentanyl. There's really kind of no more heroin in uh, in in Baltimore, where they, where they made the, the the great show the, the Wire several years ago, um, the, you're, you're seeing this all over. The ingredients for fentanyl and meth are they coming from China primarily? China. Yes, but you know, yeah, right, exactly. But but the truth is, you know, if you control the shipping ports, and there are two of them on the western side of Mexico that are the principal ones, although the the the, the, the um, the airport in Mexico City is a, is a big player in this, too. But uh, south of Arizona, about two-day drive, you reach these two very, very large ports through which all this stuff comes. All kinds of retail, consumer items, et cetera, et cetera, things that are used in manufacturing, other larger things, car parts, et cetera, whatever. But you get there a lot of chemicals. And, and so all of that's coming. Well, a lot of it is coming from China, although my, my sources in the DA tell me that there's – uh, India is now becoming a little bit of a bigger player. But the truth is, it, it could be other countries as well. So, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be just China or, or, or it, it, India. It just happens to be more convenient. Have you heard of stuff that's coming into uh, Long Beach and San Pedro? My understanding is that there, that, that there are, um, not per se, but, but the pills, what I, what I have heard is that, um, and seen uh, in reports from, from the border, is that the pills now are coming in in, in quantities that simply boggle, I mean, they boggle my mind. I, I just stunned sometimes to see the, the seizures. Remember, in 2017 in San Diego, there was the first seizure of Mexican trafficked pills. Uh, that contain only fentanyl, F- counterfeit pills that contain only fentanyl in San Diego, 12,000 pills, okay? And everyone was high-fiving of each other. And then the next week, it was 18. And then in, in Phoenix, a month later, two months later, it was 30. Now you're seeing one border crossing, like in Nogales in Arizona, of three, three or 400,000 pills seized almost daily. Um, and then, of course, of a week, those seized um, like a million or something like that. I mean, it's just... It's a remarkable it, thing. There's it, this enormous rush towards manufacturing. Is this, this stuff too overwhelming? Is, is this too overwhelming for even the federal government to take on? Is does anyone have a desire to do it? Well, I believe it has kind of graduated to that level. I don't think any president uh, in recent years has done much about this, um, and 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 but it has graduated beyond simply like a drug issue, the way we've commonly thought about it, to something that amounts, in my opinion, it feels as much as, as it feels like a drug issue. It feels like a, a national poisoning. And that would really rise to another, to another level. Um, but again, you've seen um, both the Trump administration and the Biden administration essentially do very little about this, in part, I think, because Mexico has done a lot to curtail the immigration coming from from Mexico and has done a lot to keep keep migrants from other parts of Latin America in Mexico, that kind of thing. There's all that 
whole issue that's playing out. But I think this is, is now graduated to a level where, where the State Department has to take it up with the Mexican government, and there has to be, a, you know, uh, working on, on, on pushing the Mexicans to, to deal with the, with the chemicals in their country. And I would say, too, on, uh, from our end, on making sure that we are not allowing guns smuggled to be smuggled south into Mexico. Those are the guns, particularly assault weapons, that are, that are really uh, arming those guys, allowing them the impunity that, to, to make those, these drugs in such staggering quantities. All right, Sam, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us again. We appreciate it. And the name My of the, pleasure. Any, anytime, fellas. And the uh, name yeah. of the book is The Least of Us. True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. John and Ken Show, KFI AM640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.